Our New Testament reading is from Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was governor of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the ruler of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as an ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. 
Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, and we what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you all uh, join me in prayer? Good Lord. We ask you to pour your Holy Spirit upon us. Give us an overabundance of your light that we may hear your word and understand it. And in its treasures, may we discover guidance for living spirit-led lives today and all the days of our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we have been working our way through the book of Acts, and we have been looking at how the Holy Spirit went to work amongst the early church, and how that work continues to this day. Last Sunday, our church community, in attending to God's word, has given to us in Acts chapter 10, verses 24 through 48, heard how the Holy Spirit brought Peter to Cornelius's house. And in that event, the gospel was proclaimed and offered to a Gentile who was a Roman centurion. And just a few weeks ago, we heard how in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, the Holy Spirit led Philip to proclaim the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. In all of this, we have been seeing the Holy Spirit slowly stretching this early church out of its comfort zones. Slowly, the Holy Spirit is breaking new ground before their eyes as they behold God going to work and expanding his kingdom in unexpected ways. And for them, oftentimes it was not only unexpected, but uncomfortable. And that is what we see in today's text, isn't it? In this text from Acts chapter 11, we see the sense of discomfort within the, whole, the uh, Christian community begin to break out in this sense of unrest among some in the church in Jerusalem. Now, when we look at this passage in most Bibles, it is given a heading such as, Peter explains his actions, or more mildly, Peter reports to the church in Jerusalem. However, neither of these really captures what is happening in what we just read. And I must admit that I am tempted to make up my own heading, which would read, and Peter gets into trouble. 
All kidding aside, though, that is literally what is happening here. The, the Holy Spirit is breaking into the life of the church, and people don't expect it, and they're like, what's happening? And they ask Peter, what were you doing? It should still be shocking to us in some ways. And why is that? Well, let's look at this text together. How does it open? It begins, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard. And what did they hear? That the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now that is not a very offensive thing, is it? No, in fact, this was the very thing that Jesus had told them to do. So we read in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verse 47, Jesus telling his disciples that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. And this is also repeated at the end of Matthew's gospel. So the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles is not the source of strife in today's reading. And that is made abundantly clear in the actual charge that is laid before Peter in today's reading. What was offensive was what happened after Peter proclaims the gospel. And the Gentiles receive it and believe in the name of Jesus. So today's reading continues in verse 2 through 3. The circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Here we come to the source of the scandal. Here we discover what all the commotion was about. Peter went into a house owned by uncircumcised people and he ate with them. The issue is not that Peter preached Christ to the Gentiles. That was expected. But what did cause a stir is that he entered a house that was considered unclean because of the people who lived there, and he ate with them and held table fellowship with them. These people who the Jews considered unclean because they were not circumcised. So these circumcised believers considered the Gentiles ritually unclean and considered unworthy of table fellowship, or at least until they submitted to the Jewish law and got circumcised. But this should strike us to the heart, shouldn't it? Here we are not long after Jesus' ascension into heaven, and some in the church had already forgotten the very thing that our Lord himself was willing to do. For instance, if you have a phone with you, feel free to pull up an app and follow along in these references. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 through 13. There's a Gentile soldier who approaches Jesus and asks him to heal his servants. What is Jesus' reply? In verse 7, Jesus asks, Shall I come and heal him? Jesus offers to come into this unclean man's house, 
Though this ends up not happening because the centurion insists that he is not worthy of having Jesus enter his house, our Lord was willing to do so. And then, only four verses later, Jesus offers this teaching. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west, that is, Gentiles from abroad, and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here we see that table fellowship is expressly taught as being an inevitable consequence of the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Yet in today's passage, we see the old ways putting up a fight, don't we? Exclusivism will not easily give up the ghost. But that is not the only point in today's passage. No, this is not just about throwing wide open the doors for all to be welcomed to table fellowship. At its deepest sense, today's passage reveals a constant tendency amongst God's people through the ages. And that is to hold at arm's length the transformation and regeneration that the Holy Spirit works within us. All is well and good when the Holy Spirit is at work in ways we would expect. So it was for these circumcised believers who criticized Peter. As long as God the Holy Spirit worked in magnificent, but way, uh, ways in which they could say, hey, yeah, that's what I was expecting, it was okay. But that's not what he does, is it? He pushes us outside of our comfort zones. And that is what Peter gives recognition to when he goes and proclaims the gospel and then sits down at table with these Gentiles. But before we are too hard on these Jewish Christians we hear criticizing Je or Peter today, we should remember why this was such a hard thing for them to let go of. The scripture scholar R.K. Harrison, in an article he wrote in the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, points out that when Greek paganism threatened to culturally and religiously overwhelm Judaism some two centuries before Christ was born, circumcision took on heightened meaning and a distinctive indication of Jewish fidelity to the covenant in contrast to the Greek cultures impinging upon the Jewish community. Moreover, we find in the Old Testament prohibitions, prohibitions against eating food offered to idols. For us, this may seem strange. It's just food, we might exclaim. Yet we need to remember that oftentimes the meat offered during worship was eaten directly after or during the pagan worship services. As such, it is no wonder that people would be concerned that eating with a Gentile would lead not only to defilement, but also apostasy to pagan religion. But that's not what happened, is it? No. Peter does not worship pagan gods. Instead, he offered 
to a Gentile and his family and his friends the good news about Jesus Christ and what God was working amongst his people and breaking forth into the world with. So we find in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, recorded the fact that while Peter was still in the middle of saying these things, that is proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Thus, giving indisputable proof that these pagans were chosen by God to be his adopted people, just like the Jewish people. And so Peter continues in Acts 10.47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? In light of that, it seems important to note that what seems to be at the heart of the circumcisions, parties, anxieties is a real and historically grounded concern, and yet it is ultimately unfounded. It is, to name it bluntly, a concern based on fear. And that is one of the things that the Holy Spirit casts out, isn't it? This is why John, in his first epistle, writes in chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. And this is importantly followed just a few verses later by the affirmation that such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. It's from verse 13, or 18 of the same letter. I hope you caught that. Yes, part of the Holy Spirit's work is to perfect love within us. And part of that perfection of love is the casting out of every fear. But also notice something else that is mentioned in that same epistle. This love is not only directed to God, but also towards our neighbor. This is why earlier John writes, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Such love, it is true, begins within the household of God, but it can never rest there. No, in fact, this spirit-grounded love inevitably reaches outward into the world, sharing in love the gospel of God's love, given expression in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the kingdom that he has come to establish. It is, in short, a missionary love that we are called to participate in and that the Holy Spirit gives as a gift within our hearts. That, that is why today, in verse 12 of today's reading, Peter recalls before his accusers that the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And so he did. He went among them, sharing the good news, and they, by God's grace, accepted it, and were baptized. 
And so as Peter recounts all of this before the circumcision party, all of this becomes clear to them. They come to see that they have no need to be concerned in this case. These Gentiles in no way were a cause for scandal. For as Peter states, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I would also call our attention to another aspect of today's reading. And we can easily pass over it when we're considering the Holy Spirit's pushing the church to fearlessly share the gospel with those among whom these Christians were afraid to go to. And what is it that I am referring to? Namely, that this free offer of the gospel, once accepted by the believer through the inward working of the Holy Spirit, brings about a particular working within the soul. As the final verse in today's reading says, they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I will point out two things that happen here. First, we see that among those who were initially suspicious about what Peter had done, there's a softening of the heart, which leads them to glorify God. They rejoiced in what God had done, recognizing that they were wrong, and having done so, they turned then to give glory to God for expanding their imagination for who would be their brothers and sisters in Christ, something they could not have imagined previously. And not only expanding their imaginations, but also that God, by his grace, had made this a reality already. But also, we are given insight into what happened among the Gentiles. That is, as these Jewish Christians proclaim, to them, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Notice what is said there. Not only that they are accepted, but that God's grace has so powerfully worked in their lives that they have repented and turned away from their sins and have begun living in a different way, the way that leads to life. David Peterson, an Anglican pastor and scholar, comments on this, pointing out that turning to Christ involved a radical reorientation of allegiance and devotion which is what is meant in this case by repentance that leads to life. Not simply repentance from particular sins, but a rejection of everything that hinders the reception of salvation through faith in Christ. That is what is meant. That is what is central in this passage. Namely, that wherever God has gone to work, we must not, indeed cannot, oppose. But equally important is what gives evidence to God's work, and that is what we can expect to see among those among whom the Holy Spirit goes, namely repentance that leads to life. Yes, God swings wide open the door of salvation to many whom we may not expect to find in his kingdom. As Jesus is recorded saying in Matthew's gospel, Chapter 21, verse 31, some Pharisees approach him seeking to entrap him. And he says, 
Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. But what is the path that Jesus lays before all people as the way to enter that kingdom? We find that laid out for us just a few chapters earlier in chapter 18, verse 3, when he says, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is what God had done among the new Gentile believers whom Peter was sent to. And in seeing this proof laid before them, the circumcision party who had initially criticized Peter fell silent. For they saw the indisputable working of God's grace and had to admit that God was expanding those who were to be called his children beyond what they had possibly imagined. So what does all of this mean for us today? Well, I would point out that we, along with all Christians through the ages, are challenged in today's scripture to always be ready to be surprised by just how expansive God's expression of grace is. Martin Marty, a Lutheran historian of, the, of church history, um, he points out, out of incidents such as that found in Acts, the good news came to be universalized so that the many of us who are not Jews will be saved. And the rest is history. So we see in this passage, as another theologian points out, God brings change and enlargement through men and women who have a vision, through those who see themselves in others as God sees them and act accordingly And when such ambassadors of Christ share their vision, the horizons of those around them are widened. So we too have the duty of hearing and heeding God's word to us, a word which sets us, a word which sets before us and challenges us with a vision a vision not of a church turned in upon itself and caring only for those who fit our own cultural and ethnic scene, but of a church comprised of those gathered in from every corner of the world as Jesus exhorted his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. In today's scripture, I would say that we are called to remember the work God continues to do in our world, drawing people to him from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue, as John says in the Revelation. And that God is inviting us to share the good news with them. This is all the more important today, since as Dr. Russell Moore recently wrote in an article in Christianity Today, American Christianity is in some circles being replaced by a kind of blood and soil Christianity with the obligation not to the church's Lord, but to a particular brand of white political and cultural identity. 
But alongside that, we are also called to remember that this gospel we are called to share has a content. It's not simply an invitation to come in and be left unchanged. No, God's grace never leaves us unchanged. We should expect that where God's grace is at work in a person's life, there will be change, repentance, and growth towards greater holiness by the Holy Spirit's work within the heart. So, biblical scholar D.A. Carson writes, Paul in his epistles, instead of insisting that Christians live up to the expectations of our tribe, tells us that we must live up to the expectations of the church's Lord. In Paul's vision, to be a Christian, to confess Jesus as Lord, meant to adopt a worldview in which we are bound to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do so by living in accordance with God's free grace in our lives, by which God enables us to lead holy lives as he forms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Yes, God does not leave us unchanged. And that, my friends, is good news, which we should be excited to share with everyone we meet. As Paul says in his letter to the Romans, but thanks be to God that you who were slaves of sin have now become obedient from the heart to the pattern of teaching to which you were committed. That is, all of us were at one time wallowing in our brokenness, but now God's grace has broken forth into our hearts and is transforming us, pouring upon us, as John says in his gospel, grace upon grace. That is grace, which is more than adequate to heal and restore us to deep relationship with our Lord. And we have the privilege of offering the good news of that free grace of God to everyone we encounter to announce before the world that the brokenness, hopelessness, despair, and suffering that people everywhere are experiencing, either because they have been sinned against or because of the presence of sin within their own lives, all of that has been defeated in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ our Lord and that God is at work recreating each of us into a person after the image of his Son, as Paul so beautifully puts it in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Reflecting on scripture passages like that, a gathering of church leaders in the 17th century in the Netherlands called Christians to remember that the promise of the gospel ought to be declared and offered to all nations and to every person promiscuously and without distinction. So brothers and sisters, let us not weary of or shy away from always bearing witness before the whole world, before every person, the good news that God's grace is for them, that he is inviting them to table fellowship with his people, and that his grace is life transformative. 
His grace never leaves us as we are, and it is always calling us deeper into relationship with him and into the awesome joy of holiness. And as God transforms us and others, we find that rich fellowship alongside people we would never have imagined calling our brothers and sisters becoming a reality. That is what God's kingdom looks like as the Holy Spirit breaks forth into this world. And that is what we are both privileged and challenged to see beginning to happen in today's reading from Acts as the Spirit breaks forth into the lives of the Gentiles. So let us too learn from today's passage to rejoice when God does exactly that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for encouraging us and challenging us to always be attentive to the leading of your spirit. We ask you to open our hearts to your spirit's working and embolden us by his presence within us to share this gospel. O Spirit of God, come upon us and give us power to work for Christ, power to preach the gospel, power to tell the story of the cross. We ask it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.